This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Amen. What a, what a beautiful moment for these pa- families. Uh, if you are visiting with one of these families that dedicated their child today, we just want to welcome you again. We're so glad to have every guest with us today. If this is your first time, we welcome you again. If we've not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kelly, and we're just so honored to have you with us. And I'm excited about today. Today is part three of a series we've been in called Perfectly Designed. And today I'm excited because it's one of my favorite topics. It's about purpose and identity. And I know what you're thinking. Well, I am at the Purpose Church. And if the Purpose Church can get fired up about talking about our purpose in Jesus, like what are they going to get excited about? And even this moment of dedicating children is part of that, that these kids are made on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. And we're declaring that and prophesying that over their lives today. So I'm excited to jump in to today's content. And and I really do believe that most of um, our human struggle is connected to our innate uncertainty about who we are, about what our purpose is, and about why we are here. Most of the struggle that adults have in their life is is their struggle with this very topic. And people who don't settle this issue spend their entire lives subjecting themselves to everything that blows by in life, constantly searching for their purpose. That might even be part of your own story. And I do believe that the sooner we can settle the issue of purpose and identity, the better off we are going to be. And, and it's, it's no fault of ours. We're born into this situation because of the fall in Genesis, Adam and Eve through sin. Insecurity entered the human condition. And to this day, insecurity dwells in the human dynamic. This is true for all of us. All of us have insecurities that we have to settle. And the best way to find security is to understand our God-given identity and our God-given purpose. To make today's content, to make today's truth part of your life, that you are made on purpose, for a purpose, and with a purpose. If there's a, a tension there where you can get fired up and you can believe it for these babies, but not for yourself, I believe that today is for you as well. One of my favorite things about being a mom is that I learn a lot of random stuff that like I know things that nobody really needs to know. Because I'm Levi's mom, I'm the most annoying person to go to the zoo with. Like I'm the worst. I'm more like I I know when the tigers were born. I know the armadillo's name is Rita. I know like I I know where the things are. Like I'm a tour guide. If I put on khaki shoot uh, khaki shorts and like hiking boots, people would start asking me questions, and I would give them good answers because like I, I for somebody who doesn't even really like animals. Look, if you're an animal person, if you're a dog person, a horse person, I hope we can still be friends. I'm just not that person. Like I don't really. For, for someone who doesn't really care much about animals, I have spent an inordinate amount of time talking about animals, reading about animals, listening about animals, at the zoo, pretending to be interested in animals. I know a lot about animals for a non-animal person. I've never even once, before I had Levi, who talked and loved animals, before he asked me, I'd never once thought about what my favorite animal was. Not even a thought in my mind. Like, I never even considered what my favorite animal was. And I tried to kind of brush the question off. And then finally I was like, Kelly, like, pick an animal. Give the kid an answer.
answer. He wants to know what's your favorite animal. And I know you're wondering, so I settled on giraffe. And I do like the giraffes. And I do know that you can feed the giraffes. And I do know that they like lettuce. And I also know that when you're at the zoo and you feed the giraffes the lettuce, once you have fed them, they want the giraffes want you to move on. Like they are done with you. Kind of with an attitude, they're like, I have no use for you, sis. You need to move along. In more recent years, I've learned a lot about basketball, about LeBron James, about Stephen Curry. I swear his name is Stephen. He says Stephen. I'm sure a a quick Google search could settle this debate. Stephen Curry. I've learned a lot about LeBron James his whole life. Uh, And most recently, one of my favorite conversations has been this. And this wasn't even from Levi. This was from Bradley. He was like, Mom, did you know that ladybugs aren't even bugs? They're beetles. Like, we're all calling them ladybugs. They're beetles. And they're not even all ladies. Some of them are boys. They're boy beetles. And we're calling them ladybugs. We just know random things. Boy beetles. That's what they are. Imagine being a boy beetle in your whole life. You're called a ladybug. <laughs> funny, right? Another thing I've learned a lot about are sneakers. Personally, not a sneakerhead because I have a budget. You know what I'm saying? Like... Levi's like, why can I have all these shoes? I was like, you need a job. (laughs) Then you can have all these shoes. (laughs) If you're ever around Levi and you've got a great pair of shoes, he's going to be up in your face. I'll prove it to you. Look at this picture. This is Levi. This is that small group in my house, in the middle of my kitchen, in the middle of people. And Jay Grizzle walks in with a pair of Jordan 1s. I know that, thanks to Levi. And he just sits down in the middle of the kitchen floor and he's staring at these shoes. He loves them so much. I have learned a lot about shoes. And and if we were to look at a close-up picture of a pair of these shoes, I thought about buying them just for sermon illustration purposes, but I didn't because my fashion sense is limited with sneakers and the whole thing. Like, anyway, so one thing I know about these shoes is that they were designed on purpose that there was a designer for these shoes. I know, and I bet that you would agree with me, that these shoes did not just explode into a really great shoe. Like there wasn't a room somewhere with the Nike swoosh and the sole and the tongue and the emblem on the side and the laces. And like, they didn't just exist in a room and then all of a sudden like combust into a great shoe. The shoe didn't drift into its design. It didn't explode into its design. This shoe was designed on purpose by a designer for a very specific purpose. And I just want to let you know, you're better than a shoe. You're more intricate than a shoe. Your your design is more precise and intentional than any shoe that will ever be made. And in the same way, a shoe didn't just explode into greatness, neither did you. Neither did you. you. You are an incredible design. And I remember when I was in college, uh, there were, I studied biology in the beginning. I thought I was going to study science. I switched over to, to English, which means that I have this really kind of goofy degree. I have a bachelor's of science in English. It's kind of goofy. Most people have a bachelor's of art in English. What that kind of looked like for me in college is that I spent a lot of time reading and researching about sciencey things. Uh, I spent a lot of time reading about Charles Darwin, evolution, Charles Darwin's writings, um, and other scientists. When I say other scientists, we would be like, oh, probably like Charles Darwin's a scientist. You may find it surprising to know that he's not. 
He actually started off as a pre-med student, quit after his second year in his undergrad, and then actually has a degree in theology. Isn't that fascinating? Charles Darwin has a degree in theology, which, by the way, just let me let you know, when Landon says that he hated school and he just tried to get out as fast as possible, he's like, I'm not like Kelly. She likes school. Like, he, he's, it's his nice way of saying that I'm a nerd, that I just like this kind of stuff. I'm ever like, do you ever miss just, like, being in a lecture hall and just, like, learning and doing research papers and writing? And he's like, no, never. <laughs> but I did spend a lot of time reading even Charles Darwin's work, The Origin of Species. I read a lot of arguments. I read about the people that he would have studied. And all that really means is that I just, I know too much about Charles Darwin. <laughs> but what I've learned from that is that as a culture, as a world, not necessarily the church or Christians, not myself, but just as a culture, the way education is ran, Uh, assumptions people make is that as a culture, we ascribe more to Darwinism than Darwin actually did himself. I find it fascinating that in, in Darwin's origin of species, never once will you find the word evolution. Never once. You will find the word evolve once, and it's at the very end of a 500 page work. What you will find in Charles Darwin's work, The Origin of Species, at the very beginning of this, of this, of this book, before the title page, before he jumps into the content, before all of these things, as a theologian, he does have two quotes on the left-hand side from other scientists that reference some kind of divine power. Some kind, two quotes referencing divine power. And, and it seems like Darwin was really looking for the origin of species. That is, after all, what he named it. And he often took the phrase that scientists before him would have used, which was there was a mystery of all mysteries that started life. The mystery of all mysteries. As a Christian who believes in God's word, that's, that's God, that there's divine design there. Some say that Darwin had what they called physicist envy. What does that mean? Well, that he envied thing, physicists or astronomers who could basically say, hey, here's this simple law that makes everything in the physical world work, like gravity. Like it was this law set into motion, and you can describe the way the world works based on this law. He wanted, he envied that there would be something as simple that could be applied to and described to biology, to life on earth, to, to life's origins. So he was looking and searching for that. And I believe that there are actually a lot of scientists that believe in some kind of divine design, some kind of intelligent design, or, or the, the mystery of all mysteries. But we don't hear a lot about it. And maybe you've seen it. There's a documentary called Expelled. It came out in 2008, which was like right at the beginning of the digital age. Uh, kudos to these scientists. They were, they were using the power of cancel culture before we all knew what cancel culture was. And Ben Stein is actually in this documentary called Expelled, and he really lays out the cancel culture within the scientific community that if there is a legitimate, really intelligent um, scientist who indicates that there might be the possibility or the potential at all of intelligent design, they would be totally canceled within the scientific community. Like all of their works, all of their journals, all of their research, all of their findings, everything they ever stood for would become null and void to the scientific community. So we actually don't really hear much of a balanced position scientifically. And then when we put creation scientists together, people laugh at it like it's an oxymoron and it's not. It's just there's this really strong grip of cancel culture within that community that's been operating for a very long time. 
But I do believe that, that we as a culture believe in Darwinism more than he would have believed. And I think if, if Darwin knew how his works have been used in eugenics in regards to genocide or racism or classism, he may have made some edits in his work. I think that his works have been largely misused for what he intended. And when I was in a biology class in college, I went to a Baptist school, and so all of my professors were, were believers, and I loved being in that biology class because nobody got fired up over stuff like Dr. Baldridge, like, like the whole workings of a plant, bless it, I'm glad for it. I don't really, I don't get fired up about like photosynthesis and maybe I should, maybe I would kill less plants if I did that, but if I understood it a little bit more. But Dr. Baldridge, she would get so excited because then she knew that all of these really great things about a plant pointed back to the designer. That everything that was great about this plant, that made the plant work and the light and the soil and the oxygen, all these things, like it all points back to God. And I think about that, even when I think about like how phenomenal our eye is. Like you could take any part of the human body and it's truly phenomenal. There has to be a designer to that. Even when you look at individual parts like the eye, it's truly amazing. Or the nervous system, or the brain, or blood. Blood, can anybody really explain how blood works? Blood doctors, I think that y'all are amazing because it seems really confusing to me. We're glad for it. We try not to lose our blood. We need our blood. But even just blood. Blood is an amazing part of our body that couldn't just explode into what it is. There's too much intentionality and purpose in even our design. It points to a designer. Look at this verse in Psalm 19.1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Every, everything about creation, everything about biology, everything about, about the physical world and the scientists, it points back to the glory of the designer who perfectly designed it all. And part of our story and how we understand our own purpose in life, it really begins at the beginning of humanity's story. Our story, my personal story, your personal story, begins with humanity's story. And we see this in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 27, is the creation account where God is speaking the earth into existence. I won't go down this rabbit trail, but I will tell you that if you were to do some research on the sounds of the universe, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. But God did speak the earth into existence. And then here's this crowning moment of creation. In Genesis 1:27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this is our, our source for the beginning of our story that points to our destiny. We believe that design reveals destiny. And we find our design when we find the designer. When we find the designer, we understand part of our destiny. And God's word for your life is the most reliable source you can go to to find your purpose and to find your identity wanted to share this picture with you that I find fascinating. It's this picture where these, these two guys spent over 10 years developing a, a, a beautiful, like colorful picture of every single biblical cross reference. There are 63,779 cross references in the Bible, which is phenomenal. It's amazing. And kind of the way that this 
works is that every line that goes across is a cross-reference. The bottom line are the different books and, and chapters and verses in the Bible and the length of the verses. So that long white line at the bottom is the longest verse in the Bible in Psalms. And so every line that goes across is a different cross-reference in the Bible. Generally speaking, when somebody writes something, they will cross-reference things in their own writings. They write the beginning, they write the end, they know where they're going, they know where they start, and they can kind of work those things in. So even if this were written by a singular author, 63,779 would just be, it would be amazing. But the Bible was written, all of these books at the bottom, so you can see where it goes from light gray to dark gray, light gray to dark gray, those are different books. So every, the entire Bible was written by 40 different authors that spanned a time period of 1,500 years in, in three different continents. And they did not know consciously when they were writing that they were writing part of the, the canon of scriptures. They didn't know that they were doing all of this, that they were creating this incredible work. This is the most reliable source for your life. The Bible is complex, it's diverse, it's intricate, and yet it has one unified message, which is God is love and he will redeem all who believe. We can count on God when it comes to finding our purpose and our identity. Genesis 1 through 2 establishes three things about being designed, about being perfectly designed, about God's design for us. It establishes three things. And the first thing is that humans are a divine design created in the image and the likeness of God. There is no other part of creation like humanity. There is no other part of creation that can feel what we feel, that has the capacity for love and art and science and technology and creating or even that of, of evil and sin. Humanity is distinctly different from every other part of creation, and that's because we are created in the image and the likeness of God. I think we've all said this before, I'm only human. Like you hit a pothole and you're like, oh, I'm only human. You do something goofy, like, I'm only human, but can I tell you something? Humans are amazing. Humans are amazing. Humans do amazing things. I watch a gymnast do all the things that a gymnast can do, and I think, I can't even touch my toes without bending my knees. Like, humans are amazing. I think about the, the, the music that can be created from a human. Amazing. I think about the technology that is created by a human. It's amazing. The nonprofits and the organizations and the, and the justice that can come from biblically centered groups that are out to reach the marginalized and, and to fight human trafficking and to take health care to third world countries, that's driven by humanity. And it's not a small thing. It's, it's a beautiful thing. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. When we express love, we're expressing God's nature. When we, when we express kindness, we're expressing part of God's nature. Our drive for truth and justice that comes from God's nature. Our desire to create, to be in relationship, to care for one another. That's part of God's nature inside of us. The world is bigger than just us. And there is a, a spirit of the age, which Landon talked about in their first message a little bit more. There's a spirit of this age where there's like a, a worldview that is contrary to that of God's word. 
and, and the worldview that we're hearing a lot about is seeking to divide us where God would seek to unite us. This worldview says that, oh, well, this person is oppressed and this person's an oppressor. There needs to be enmity or strife or disunity or division between different groups of people based on skin color, based on ethnicity, based on income, based on gender, based on all these different things. There's this this push to divide us. But different nations and different races and different, different languages was all part of God's design. And God's kingdom is bigger than just us. It's bigger than just right here. It spans the entire earth. God's kingdom is everywhere. And God desires unity from us. And even even scientifically, we are less than 1% difference in our DNA. Any two people have less than 1% difference. And yet there's a message that says that we need to dislike one another. There needs to be division because we're, we're too different from one another. Acts 17, 26, it says, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. It was from one man, from one place, from one God. And so to be made in the image of God means that we are image bearers of him. And I believe that part of the spirit of this age is even, there's a demonic essence to it that is gripping our nation and it spans even generations and it's that of suicide that says it doesn't matter if you're here it doesn't matter if you're gone they're not gonna they would be better off if you're not here that is demonic and we need to we need to be truth tellers to the people around us that you matter that you have a purpose that you carry God's image that he put you on this earth right now for this moment right where you are This verse in Acts 17, it says that he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God chose you to be born right now in this place. He didn't choose you to be born 100 years ago, and he didn't choose you to be born 1,000 years from now. He chose you right now for his purposes. And we need more people in our culture saying these things to people around us. Old people to young people to all kinds of people. We need to be telling people, you are made on purpose and for a purpose. So humans are a divine design created in the image and likeness of God. The second thing we notice from our design that we see in Genesis is that humans are male and female. If I were to say this statement, maybe even three years ago, it would be like, great, let's move on to the next point. But when I say it, I know you're like, buckle up, here she goes, talking about gender. (laughs) But we do see in Scripture That it says they were made male and female, and God blessed them. So male by himself, nor female by herself, fully expresses the nature of God. It's male and female together. We need males fully in their maleness and females fully in their femaleness. And those two things together express God's nature and God's character. And it's not just relegated within marriage, although that's part of it, but in our society, in the body of Christ, in faith communities, that is true as well. And he blessed them. And I believe the enemy comes to seek to bring division here where there shouldn't be division, pitting male against female and, and female against male, where, where maybe women can be erased and pushed out and, 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 and they're not needed and maybe men are, are the oppressor and they're unnecessary and we don't need men. I'm just gonna let you know, we need women. 
We need women. We need the value that women bring to our homes, to our families, to our lives, to our churches, to our societies, to every aspect of society. We need the contribution of women. Also, we need men. We need the fullness of of men. And for there to even be this idea that there's toxic masculinity is destructive to the very nature of who God is. And a lot of this talk about, about maleness or femaleness and gender, whatever, what we need to understand is that we're really talking about social norms, stereotypes, and temperaments. We're talking about temperament. We're talking about the ways in which the femininity or the masculinity is expressed not the maleness and the femaleness themselves. We also need to understand, as we are often told by people that propagate this kind of ideology, is that terms like race and gender are relatively very contemporary. You're not going to find these terms in the Bible. You're not going to find these words in history, at least not history too far back. And the challenge for us is to see the world through a biblical worldview, not to see the Bible through a cultural worldview that this is our source, that this is our reliable source for all things in our life, that God is the designer of all of it. So we look at the world and the things going on in the world through a biblical lens, not looking at the Bible through a cultural lens. And that can be challenging to us, but that, that is part of our challenge. I would like to say this about gender as well. Also, next week we're talking about sexuality because all of us have a sexuality, and we will be talking about that next week. It'll be a little PG-13-ish, so if you like your kids to hang out in here, this is a great time for me to let you know how great our kids' team is. They do an amazing job teaching our kids the word. Um, I just don't want you to have to apologize to your kid for anything. So we'll get, we'll get into more of like the sexuality part of it next week. But gender is not a trivial part of our design. Our biological sex is not trivial. It's not like you can, like our hair, we can grow our hair out, we can shave it, we can color it, we can dye it. We can get long lashes, we can get really long lashes, we can get just, I mean, we, we, got, we have options in some things. We can grow our nails out, our weight fluctuates, but our gender is not trivial. Our gender is woven within all of our DNA. It's, it's determinant for our bone structure, diseases we may be prone to, the ways that our brain thinks, the chemicals in our bodies. It's not trivial. It's also not an accident. It was divinely designed for us. We, there are some things we get to choose in life. I can choose my hair color. I can choose that. Choose nail polish color. I can, we get to choose some of those things. Some things we don't get to choose. I am 5'4". I didn't get to choose that. And this is a debate in our house. I don't know why. Uh, we all took the same math classes, and five or above, give it a shove. So 5-4 is on my legal ID. 5-4. That's it. I don't get to be any taller than this. 5-4 is where it's at. I didn't get to choose my ethnicity. I didn't get to choose the parents I was born to. I didn't choose the city I grew up in. I didn't choose how much money I was born into or not born into. You know what I'm saying? None of us got to choose those things. We don't get to choose our nose shape. We don't get to choose the color of our eyes. We don't get to, there are some things we don't get to choose about who we are. But if we are divinely designed, I believe that God wants to use every single part of our lives for his glory and for his purposes. None of it is on accident. And God wants to use all of it for his glory. I was at the mother-daughter retreat 
a few months ago with a group of our moms and daughters, and we were sitting in one of the main sessions, and there was a room full of moms and girls, and the keynote speaker said this. She said, it's good to be a girl. And I was like, yeah, it is. Tell these girls, tell all of them, it is good to be a girl. And honestly, I felt a little emotional when she said that, and I was like, what's going on, Kelly? What's up, girl? Why is this a little emotional for you? And I just kind of sat with it for a moment. And I realized that I have not always believed that it was good to be a girl. That has not always been part of my experience was knowing and believing that it is good to be a girl. I didn't fit in with a lot of the social norms. I would cringe at girl sleepovers if they wanted to do like makeovers and all the girly stuff. I'd be like, I'll go play basketball with your brother. It just was like so uncomfortable for me. I didn't like it. And then as we got married, the, the not great biblical teaching of marriage and the roles of wives and husbands didn't help me feel like it was good to be a girl. It felt limiting. I didn't necessarily feel like it was a curse, but I certainly didn't feel like it was a blessing. I felt like it was hard. I felt like it was difficult. I felt like it was limiting. It didn't help when we got into ministry as a female. I was told even more about what I could do or could not do based on being a female and, and, and um, misinterpretations and bad teachings of scriptures. It didn't feel like it was good to be a girl. I haven't always felt that. I haven't always believed that. And I've been a victim of women's ministry where I had to sit around at salad suppers and, and girls wearing goofy hats and like, don't, like the, the thought of a, a sparkle women's conference, like I wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> and that's okay. That's, that's what I'm talking about when we're talking about temperament. What I needed as a young person was somebody to help show me that God had a plan and a purpose for me, that I was okay, that God made me exactly the way he made me, that he made me with a big personality and a strong will and opinions about everything, that God has a plan and a purpose for that, and he's going to use it for his kingdom purposes. I needed to know that there was a place for me in that, but it is good to be a girl. If God made you a girl, it is good to be a girl. If you are made a boy, it is good that you are a boy. God has plans and purposes for you as a boy. And we need to let our kids know that. We need to speak that over them. It is good that you are a girl. It is good that you are a boy. We may need to say some of these things over ourselves. And we have little moments as parents where we get to to speak over them that they were made on purpose for a purpose, that they were perfectly designed by a designer who loves them and knows them. And sometimes it comes in little moments like, Levi wished one time his hair was black. He's blonde, by the way, if you don't know. Levi's blonde. I don't know how we got this blonde baby. I had him at the birth center. I'd be out looking for another child somewhere. I'd be like, my baby doesn't like my baby. We affectionately call him our recessive gene. But we have this blonde baby. And he wanted his hair to be black. And he would be like, can I dye my hair black? I'd be like, no, not that I'm opposed to coloring your hair. I'm opposed to a child who still needs help tying his shoes and eats his boogers. I'm opposed to that child dyeing his hair. You know what I'm saying? I'm opposed to that. So he wanted to dye his hair black. And the reason he wanted to dye it black is because he wanted like a lightning bolt in the side of his head. And it wouldn't show up being a little whitey McWhite white blonde boy. He needed some color. You know what I'm saying? He needed a, he wanted some, some black hair for that. So it's a little moment, but I took the moment to say, God made you the way he made you. And it's a beautiful thing the way that he has made you. 
And he made you on purpose. He made you this way. He picked out for you blonde hair. He picked that out for you. In fact, I, I kind of feel like I've gone overboard telling my kids this kind of stuff because anytime I try to take credit at all for anything beautiful about my kids, I'd be like, I made your body with my body. And they'd be like, no, you did it, mom. God made me. God made me. I'm like, but he used me. It's my DNA. Like, you're my kid. Like, no, God made me. But we need to tell our kids. They need to know that they were made on purpose and for a purpose, that they're not, not an accident. And the sooner we can accept our own temperaments, personalities, our giftings, our talents, and, and, and we, we're not wishing that we were something else, we accept the way that God has made us, the sooner we can discover what those things are and the sooner we can cultivate who we are and we can use them for the kingdom and make an actual impact for the kingdom with the way that God has made us. Because God cannot bless who we pretend to be. God cannot bless who we wish we were. God cannot anoint a fake version of me. God cannot rewrite the owner's manual based upon what I feel today. His word is true and it is reliable yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if you're struggling in any way with a part of your identity or a part of your purpose, and I'm not necessarily talking about gender, orientation, all those things, but yes, those things, but just in general, like what is your purpose on this earth? If that's something you are searching for or you're trying to resolve some insecurities about yourself, I have a few questions I'd like to share with you for you just to ask, to pray through, to to think about. And the first one is, is God good? Like, how would you honestly answer this question? Is God good? Is he good? And then I would ask this, does he make mistakes? Like, what do you really think about it? Does God make mistakes? And then here's another question. Can I trust God's design? Do I find God trustworthy? And then the last question is, what does my attitude about me reflect about these truths? Do I believe it for everybody else, but not about for me? Do I believe that these babies up here have a purpose and a plan, but I don't necessarily believe it for myself? Can I believe that the babies up here we dedicated were made on purpose for a purpose with a perfect design that God wants to use, but I struggle with my own insecurities? And I think if we're not careful, we'll fall into this cultural trap of allowing our search for identity to really become idolatrous in our own lives where our search for identity becomes the most important thing to us, where we put, put an obsessive amount of focus and time and attention trying to discover our own identity. It's almost to the point of idolatrous, where we're gonna read more about our own Enneagram type and we're gonna spend more time altering our body than we're gonna be to try to find out who God is and who God says I am. And I think if we're not careful, we're gonna allow this idolatry of our identity to become a discontentment in us about ourselves and not just discontentment, but a discontentment that becomes where we're contemptuous towards God about ourselves, where we feel a sense of contempt towards him about the way he made us, like contempt that I'm not six foot, contempt that I don't have darker skin, contempt that my hair is fine and thin and I don't have any volume no matter what I do, just put it up in a ponytail. Like we actually get contemptuous towards God about the way that he has made us. But the word says not to despise small beginnings. Last time I checked, we all kind of got here the same way. You know what I'm saying? 
And the Bible says not to despise small beginnings. And, and if we're not careful, we'll let this pursuit of our identity become idolatrous to us that leads us to being contemptuous towards God about the way that he has made us. When he says, I've made you on purpose, for a purpose, for my purpose. I chose your family. I cho- chose your origin. I chose your ethnicity. I chose your hair color. I chose your height. I chose your, your nose shape. And I chose your gender. I chose your personality. I chose your sense of humor or lack thereof. I chose the color of your eyes. I chose if you'd be good in sciences or arts, if you'd be musical or not musical. God chose all of those things for us. And ultimately, I think one of the questions is, well, who's going to call those shots in my life? Like, who, who's going to be the, the, the shot caller? Or in church, we would say, who would be the Lord of my life? And I know me, and I just want to let you know that me is not the best candidate to be the Lord of my life. I, I can't be the best candidate because I, what I know about me is that like I take wrong turns. I need a GPS for all the things and I still will take a wrong turn. I've burned dinner. I kill plants. I've swallowed gum. Like if it's up to me, I'm not the best person to call these shots. I need to be anchored to God's word. And if I'm not anchored to God's word, I'll feel one way one day and another way another day. I need to be anchored to God's word regardless of how I'm feeling on any given day. I need to be anchored to truth because he's a better candidate to be the Lord of my life than I am to be Lord of my life. God's way is the best way. Psalm 139 says this beautifully. It says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I was looking back at a blanket that Miss Rosanna, she serves in our sound booth. She made a baby blanket for Kaylin when she was born. She knit a baby blanket for her. And aside from just the, how touching it is that somebody would home make a blanket for our baby, when I read this verse, I think about that blanket Miss Rosanna knit together and how every single piece of that blanket, every single piece of that yarn went through the knitter's hands. It was all intentional. It was all on purpose. There's not one piece of that blanket that she did not pay close attention to. And there is no part of our lives that are a mistake. There are no parts of our lives that, that caught God off guard. There are no parts of us that he didn't intend to put in our lives. He knit us together. So we're made in the image and the likeness of God. We're made male and female. Number three, we're here on purpose and for a purpose. And so are our children, which I love that we got to dedicate them today. In Acts 17, it says, he marked out appointed times in history. And we need to get anchored to that truth because we're not an accident. We're not a vagabond. We're not drifters. We are here on purpose. And teenagers, and, and I'm not being ugly, this is what studies show, typically males later in life tend to go through an identity crisis. But if we will be anchored to God's word, and especially for young people when they're vulnerable in those seasons, we can come alongside them like guardrails. 
And when they're kind of veering here and there, we can be guardrails and we can speak to them and say, nope, you're made on purpose and for a purpose. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And if you want to know the purpose of a thing, especially when it comes to like technology or that kind of thing, we go to the owner's manual for that thing. If you want to know how a microwave works, we go to the owner's manual for that microwave. If we want to know how we are to work, this is our owner's manual. This is God's word for us. And if we don't understand the purpose of a thing, I think one of two things will happen. One is that it will be underused. If you don't understand the purpose of a thing, it will be underused. That is me with any amount of technology ever. Even just Google Docs. I'm sure it can do a whole lot more than I know that it can do. I haven't read the owner's manual. I'm sure it's capable of much, much more. But it will be underused. Our lives, our gifts, our talents, our purposes will be underutilized if we don't understand God's purpose for us. And the other thing is that it will be abused. If we don't understand the purpose of a microwave, we're going to use it as a clothes dryer. It's not what the owner manual, owner's manual will say. It would not suggest that you use a microwave to dry your clothes. So we need to know the purpose of a thing, and the one who created it determines the purpose. And we can speak these things over our lives, and we can speak these truths over our lives. We can do things like pray Isaiah 64, 8 that says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. He made us. He determines the purpose for which we are made. Jesus is our king, and we live in his kingdom, and we live according to his ways, and we love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Dennis Waitley has a quote that says, it's not who you are that holds you back, it's who you think you're not. And I think there are a lot of us who who discredit what God wants to do in us, where God says that he's called you, that he wants you to be a part of his plan, God wants to use you. Yes, in spite of our faults, our weaknesses, our insecurities, God wants to take all of those things and use them for his glory. Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. And as we're closing here, I think this verse is so interesting because when, when this verse was written, it would have been taught to, to little kids. And even as young as six years old, they would have read this verse and actually would have been eating honey as they were reading this verse. And, the, and what their parents or their teachers were showing them was that God's word is sweet to their life. That God's ways, his precepts, his commands are good for us. It's like honey to our lives. And if we can understand God's purpose that he says we are made in his image, if that can become like honey to us, sweet to our taste, then everything else becomes sour. When the world comes in and says who you are or who you might be or how you might find yourself, all of that stuff is now sour to us in comparison to God's word and what he says about us, which is like honey to our lips. And I would encourage you that If you are struggling with this, you want to find more about your purpose, first of all, we have Growth Track next week, so there's a plug for you there where we do dig into some of your design and how that reveals your destiny. But I would also encourage you to lean into Jesus, to lean into him. Don't lean away from him. If you're struggling and you're confused, you're not even sure, you're kind of mad at him about stuff, you're like, hey, that that contemptuousness, like I feel that. I actually feel mad at the way that he has made me and parts of me that I struggle with. Lean into him with it. 
lean into him. If, if you feel confident and you're like, I know, I know why I'm here and whose I am. When you're feeling confident, lean into him too, because he put that in you. He made you that way. You can lean into him because you're not going to find what you're looking for in the world. The world has nothing for us. The, if it did, if the world had anything to offer you in regards to this, we would see good things going on in the world. But let's be honest. The world is a hot mess express. It's full of brokenness. They are lost. It's full of addictions, hopelessness. The world has nothing to offer you as far as helping you find out who you are. The world wouldn't have all the crazy going on if they had the answers. So don't try to find the answers for it in the world. You're going to find it in God's word for your life. You're going to find it in Christ. And when you know who you are in Christ, you could be confident and sure of that. And you can put everything else out. You can put everything else out because you know whose you are and you know what your purpose is. You can live with a certainty and a confidence that comes from knowing that. And if you want that unshakable kind of foundation, the word says to build on the rock. Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So there's an opportunity today as we close in our response time to build on the rock because the winds are inevitable. The the streams rising, that's inevitable. We're not going to avoid the rain. Those things in life are going to come, but are we going to be anchored to God's word when they come? Will we be built on a foundation that will last throughout time, regardless of what the main worldview or ideology of the world around us is saying? And when you, when you lean into Jesus for it and you press into the Holy Spirit and you walk with him step by step, he will reveal to you not only about who you are, but who he is that he is good, that he is faithful, that he is trustworthy. He's the only one who is always faithful. He's the only one who is always trustworthy. He, He has never failed you before and he's not going to fail you now. You can lean into him for all of it. And for our response time, we're gonna have communion and our prayer partners. And maybe even as I've been talking about this, I would ask you, who is Lord of your life? Who does ultimately make those calls for you in your life? Is it you? With all due respect, as amazing as humans are, we're not good candidates to be a Lord or a Savior of our own life. We don't have the ability to offer redemption or salvation. We're limited in that. And if it's not us, what else is there? Is it going to be money? That's a harsh taskmaster. That's a slave driver. Does not make a good Lord. It's a false sense of redemption, if anything, and definitely no salvation. Is it going to be sex, fame, career, relationships? What is it that sits in the driver's seat of your life calling those shots for you? And if it's not King Jesus, today is going to be an opportunity where you can invite him into your heart and ask him to be the Lord of your life. He's the best candidate. 
He's the only one who has died on the cross. He's the only one who shed his blood for our salvation. He's the only one who has conquered death. He's the only one who rose again. In him and through him only is there total salvation and total redemption. You can trust him with your life. And even if you're not quite sure, like, what is my purpose on this earth? If that's something that has been a struggle for you or something that you're searching for, I would invite you to come down and pray with a prayer partner. And just let them know, like, I, I'm looking, I'm searching, I'm struggling. Just come and bring those things to the altar and lay it down and pick up God's sense of purpose for your life. And as we pray, I would ask you guys to go ahead and stand as we close our time together and our prayer partners can come down. And in our response time, we just ask that you do something to respond to the truth that you've heard today. If there's something that is maybe a difficult truth to embrace or an identity to live out that you are made by God and for God, this is a moment where you can bring that to a prayer partner. We invite you to take communion where they say it to you. They say his body broken for you, his blood is shed for you. Come and take communion, pray with somebody. But it's a call for all of us to surrender our lives to him, to trust Jesus with the way that he has made us, to trust him and to surrender it all to him. I'm gonna say a prayer. I'm gonna say a prayer with us. And then after that, the band's gonna lead us through a song. And I would encourage you just to let this song ring true for you and to come down and pray with somebody and to take communion. Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that you are our designer. God, we thank you that we are made on purpose and for a purpose. God, that you chose uh, the time that we would be born. You chose our families. You chose our parents. You chose how we would be raised. You chose our, our skin color, our eye color. God, thank you that you knit us together in our mother's womb. God, thank you that there is no part of us that's an accident. God, you knit us together. You picked our personality. You picked our temperament. You picked our gender. God, you picked how tall we'd be. You'd pick what we're good at, where our gifts are, where our talents are. God, thank you that you have made each and every one of us the way that you have made us. God, thank you that you can take the ways that we are made and we can, we can cultivate those gifts and talents and we can make a kingdom purpose when we realize the purposes for which we are made. God, we thank you that you don't make accidents, that you don't make mistakes, that you didn't mess up with not one of us that you are trustworthy, that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are for us. God, that you work all things together for us. You knew all the days that were to come for us, all the good days and the bad days, and you use them together. You use all of it together for your purposes. And God, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you or, or hasn't invited you to be the Lord of their life, God, I pray that they will surrender their life to you right now in Jesus' name. They may not know all the answers. They may not know their next steps, but they know that, that they're not the best candidate to be the Lord of their life. They need King Jesus. And if that's you, you can say this prayer with me. Lord, I surrender my life to you. God, I, I invite you to be the Lord of my life. I step out of the driver's seat that takes control of my life. And Jesus, I ask you to be in that seat. God, I, I, I surrender my life to you and I ask you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again for my salvation, for my redemption. And I surrender my life to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. You're free to respond at this time as the band leads us. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, 
Tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.